Let's pray together. God, we come before you and we are humbled by your greatness. God, we pray that you will speak to us, that you will encourage us, that you will inspire us, that as we we open up your word, you will will speak in powerful ways. To wherever we are coming from at this point, wherever we find ourselves in our journey, that we will hear a word from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would be opening up to Acts chapter 8 is where we'll be at this morning. Uh, we are in this series going through the book of Acts, and it has been um, just an exciting, exciting place for us. Um, we've been on this journey uh, since September, and, and we've seen this incredible move of the Spirit uh, forming a, a new community, a, a, a new group of followers, these Jesus followers. And so if you've missed some along the way, I want to encourage you to go back online and listen to some of the the sermons leading up to here because Luke is painting this picture for us, telling us this story, giving us this picture of what it means to be this new community, to be this church. And so last week we were in in chapter 6 where we saw that there were cracks in this church. It was not this perfect community, that there were problems that showed up. That there was this group of Greek-speaking widows that, that were not getting uh, taken care of, were not getting their needs met by the larger community. And so the apostles come in and come up with this solution where they appoint seven men to, to take care of this ministry. And two of these men are Stephen and Philip. And so through chapter 6 and into chapter 7, we see the ministry of Stephen where he is preaching boldly, is arrested by the religious leaders, put on trial and defends himself, and is ultimately taken out of the city and stoned. And standing there in this moment is Saul, who we will get to next week. But this great persecution leads to a scattering of the believers, and they go out throughout Judea and Samaria, and Philip is one of these that's scattered He goes and preaches in Samaria and sees great success there. The gospel continues to spread and people are baptized and and Peter and John come to check it out and and, and come and make sure that they are are, are doing well. And, And there's a great movement of God throughout Samaria. And then Peter and John return and Philip receives this message from the Spirit. And this is where we're at in our story today. Verse 26 Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading The book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip into the chariot to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led 
like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. All right, so we've got this incredible story once again, this episode that we have of Philip being called by the Spirit. And we see once again that the Spirit is moving in some pretty powerful ways and some very unpredictable ways. The Spirit has been turning their world upside down. Jerusalem, as they know it, will never be the same. And in verse 26, the angel tells Philip to do this strange thing, to to travel in the opposite direction, to, to travel down this deserted road out into the wilderness out of the way, but once again on a road. Philip says nothing, but he, he stands and obediently complies with what the Spirit calls him to do, and he, he goes where, where the Spirit leads him. And it's out on this road that he finds this chariot. This chariot moves by, and of all people on this chariot is an Ethiopian, someone from a far away place. And, and in this time, Ethiopia was thought to be this very exotic land at the edge of the known world. So here is someone from the edge of nowhere, out in the middle of nowhere, who is traveling this road that Philip is traveling on. And so we see Luke laying out these stories through Acts where we see the spread of the gospel the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem through all of Judea, Judea into Samaria to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia is the absolute end of the earth. And then in, next, in the next chapter, in chapter 10, we will see the conversion of the first Gentile. And so we see the story building here as Luke is talking about the spread of the gospel just as Jesus has commanded. But we won't get too far ahead of ourselves. We'll be there in the coming weeks. But for today, we focus in on Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. He encounters this eunuch who's an important man. It it goes into great detail describing who this person is and and the prestige and the power that he has. But he is a eunuch. A eunuch is, is a male who is castrated at a young age, usually having significant impact on their hormone developments. 
And so, yes, this person has a position of influence, a position of a reputation, a position of wealth, but it is because he has been castrated and put into a place of servitude. That because he cannot produce an heir, he is safe to be around the queen. Because he cannot produce an heir, he is safe to take care of the harem. He's he's not a threat to the king. Because when this eunuch dies, his line dies with him. And so, yes, the closeness to, to royalty gives him this great position of power and influence. But at the same time, this is a person who has absolutely no power and no influence. And this is the eunuch that we encounter on this wilderness road. This is a person who is on the fringes on the outside, who's incredibly different in many, many ways. And he is on his way back from Jerusalem, and he's reading through Isaiah. This is a pious man, somebody who believes in God, and has been coming back from Jerusalem from an opportunity to worship. He reads through Isaiah and is reading the story of someone who is humiliated. Out on this wilderness road, there is this devoted seeker looking for answers, looking into the scripture. There is Philip, this disciple who is coming, and then the word of God speaking through Isaiah. And so Philip chases after him, obeying the Spirit's call to go catch him. And so he runs after him and asks this crucial question, do you understand what it is you're reading? Do you understand these words on this page? God is chasing after this eunuch. God is calling Philip to run after him, to pursue him, to make sure he understands who Jesus is. And in this chasing, there is this divine encounter between Philip and the eunuch and the Spirit of God. He's reading this passage from Isaiah that's about a body that is in disgrace, a body that is in pain. And here is someone who knows humiliation. Here is someone who knows pain, who knows disgrace, who knows rejection. He has this outsider status. He is different. And even though he is pious, according to Deuteronomy 23, he would be excluded from the community worship in Jerusalem. So what he was doing in Jerusalem, I'm not entirely sure. But maybe he was incredibly disappointed when he showed up and realized that there were walls keeping him out. And he goes to Jerusalem in pursuit of God and is told you are not worthy to be in his presence. And so he's coming back, heading home, reading these words of Isaiah and asking Philip, what does it mean? Who is he talking about? And Philip tells him the good news of Jesus, the message of a God who wants to be reconciled with him who wants him to be a part of his family. And so now he reads in Isaiah these these prophecies 
of, what's, of what God is up to, these prophecies of the restoration of God's kingdom. And would he be included in that as a eunuch? In this restoration of the kingdom of God, can a eunuch be included in that? And Philip steps in and tells him this good news, that the restoration of God's kingdom has come through Jesus. That all things are being made new. And that membership requirements extend even to the likes of a eunuch from Ethiopia. There's no longer temple walls keeping him out. And I wonder if it's possible that Philip, as he's, as he's talking with this eunuch, continues to read on through Isaiah because just a couple chapters later, we see this incredible story of grace for the foreigner and grace for the eunuch. In Isaiah 56, starting in verse 3, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenants, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Can you imagine this eunuch who has no potential of a name being carried on beyond his death? This eunuch who cannot enter into worship with the community. And now he is being told, not only are you included, but your name is written on the walls. That the walls that kept you out will now bear your names. And you will be more than my children. More than my sons and daughters. And your name will carry on forever. That is the good news of Jesus. That he gives you a new name. The humiliation is overcome by the gospel. The disenfranchised the disinherited groups are now the choice recipients of God's promise. I'm reminded of Jesus' first words in his public ministry in Luke. He, he gets up in this synagogue and he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blinds, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus stands up and says, this is fulfilled through me. And so the eunuch who has been excluded, he now asks Philip, is there anything that would keep me out? Is there anything left that will exclude me? Because there's some water. Is there anything that's keeping me from participating in this new community? Is there anything that's keeping me out because there's the water? Can I be baptized? 
This is not just a, a simple story of saying, what would prevent me from, from getting to the church on time? This is, is there something about me? Is there something about my personhood? Is there something about my race or my ethnicity or my sexuality? Is there something that would exclude me? There's the water. Can I participate? And he goes down into the water and is included and is made one with God. Is brought into this perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. And then Philip disappears. <laughs> and this man leaves rejoicing with his new name and his new identity and his new inheritance. And we see the story of the gospel being played out in this beautiful, beautiful way. So what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about ourselves? And what does this tell us about the church for today? Because we, we see in this story that the Spirit leads. And the Spirit moves. We've seen this throughout Acts. That the Spirit is playing this, this prominent role throughout the book of Acts. The Spirit is closely related to the church's mission, to what they're called to do, to their purpose. The Spirit is guiding and advancing, it's empowering, it's, it's leading to the spreading of the church. In Acts, the mission of the church is being led by the Spirit. It's the fulfillment of God's promises, the, the crossing of boundaries and barriers, it's the, the good news of the gospel. And it's this creation of this new community of, of shared goods, of shared lives, all things being held in common. And so in Acts, we see that the Spirit leads, the Spirit guides, the, the Spirit builds, it corrects, it teaches, it empowers the church to be the church. And we see this in the, in the story of Philip and the eunuch, where the Spirit says, get up and go, and Philip goes, he's listening and he's obeying. And he goes to the place he would never go, out onto this deserted road, this wilderness place to the south somewhere. And because of the priorities and methods of the Spirit, they're often different than our own. The priorities and the methods of the Spirit are different than our own. That the Spirit does not lead where we want to go. The Spirit leads where the Spirit wants to go. The Spirit does not lead within the boundaries that I create. The Spirit leads within the boundaries that God tears down. And when you were obedient to the Spirit, you will find yourself in the oddest of places, with the oddest of people, preaching the strangest of sermons. And so who are the Ethiopian eunuchs in our lives today? Who are the ones that are different? Who are the ones that are excluded? Who are the ones who have limited participation in the faith community? Who are the ones that we would much rather look over and ignore? Who are those who are different? And what keeps them on the outside? Maybe they're even more than different. Maybe we would even say they're our enemy. Ones that we cannot stand. Ones that we cannot get close to ones that we cannot accept or embrace. 
And I would argue that it is fear and hatred that leads to the us versus them mentality. That fear and hate build barriers that create the divisions between us. It's a fear of the unknown. It's a fear of difference. But a faith in Jesus Christ draws us into a completely different way of life. It is upsetting, it is disturbing, it is difficult, and it is uncomfortable. But the way of Jesus calls us into these different ways. A new way of thinking about those who are different, about those who, be, who could be classified as an enemy. Faith in Jesus disrupts our old patterns of being. It breaks open the cultural norms. It breaks up family expectations. It breaks up political alliances and allegiances. That in Christ, there is no room for fear. In Christ... There is no room for hate. And just to be completely clear, there is no room for anti-Semitism. There is no room for white nationalism. There is no room for neo-Nazism. There is no room for racism. There is no room for bigotry. There is no room for fear. There is no room for hate. Jesus makes it very clear that we don't just love our neighbors, we love our enemies. And so who is our enemy? Is your enemy the Democrats, the Republicans, the white nationalists, the homosexuals, the liberals, the capitalists, the Honduran migrant caravan, the media, the NRA? The way of Jesus says to love them. And in case we're confused by that, Paul tells us very clearly what love is. Paul, enemy number one of the church, persecutor of the church, says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. To love our enemies in this way is to be at the very heart of God. My favorite quote outside of Scripture comes from Victor Hugo. To love another person is to see the face of God. That when we love others the way God has loved us, that's when we see the face of God. And so what does it mean for us to embrace those who are different for the sake of the gospel? I don't know what that means for public policy. I don't know what that means for who you should vote for. That's not my job. My job is to hold up the word of God. 
and try to interpret this crazy world that we're in through the lens of Jesus. And so whatever the solutions, they must be in the context of calmness and love, not fear and hate. Philip was obedient to where the Spirit led. And so who are the people nearest to us? Who are, the, who are the people that the Spirit is pressing us to get to know? Who's this, who, who are the people that are close to us, that are different? The good news of Jesus, the good news of, of the kingdom of God being restored, and that is that all are welcome to join. That God is chasing after you, and God is chasing after them. And if we really believe that, it will grab a hold of us. And God's love will overflow through us, pulling us more and more into God's desire for us as a people, bringing all of creation back to him. I did not outline this series months ago, knowing that today would be election week. I did not outline this series knowing what was going on over the last couple weeks with mass shootings. So I think the Spirit is telling you something. We can't change all of that, but we can change what's in here. And we can change what's going on in our neighborhood. We can change what's going on in our workplace. We can be representatives of God's love wherever we walk, wherever we go. Let's stand together. I want us to spend some time praying together. This is an opportunity where we can get together as families, get together as life groups. Uh, we'll have shepherds down front. You can come pray with one of them. I don't know what kind of things God is telling you or how God is moving in your life. Some of you are so disconnected from, from current events, which is not a bad thing. I think that's probably a healthier thing at times. That that's not what's really getting at you right now. But there are other things that are kind of gnawing at you. Questions of how to be what God has called us to be in the world that we walk in. And so we lift that up to God, that we will be able to hear the Spirit and know where to go, even if it's that crazy wilderness road with an Ethiopian eunuch. Let's pray together. God, I pray that we will hear your voice, that the Spirit will lead, we will be in tune enough to hear and brave enough to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray.